Welcome to the System Hub Podcast. Hola. Konnichiwa. Guten Tag. Where we interview world-class experts. You have to have a lot of passion for what you're doing. I was fanatical in my 20s. If you could find a way to produce a business that works without you, your life would change like that. Extracting, organizing, and optimizing their best systems and processes for rapid business growth. Now, let's get into the show. Welcome back to the Business Systems Summit. I'm your host, David Jennings, and in this session, we're going to be chatting with Donna Lyons. Now, I came across Donna's work through her co-founder, Mike Michalowicz, and the more I I dug, the more I realized that she'd be a perfect fit for this summit, and I was keen to just get her on the show to talk through this system. Now, she's an ex-Wall Street executive turned business coach who helps entrepreneurs create their dream business and their dream life as well. And it feels like we're on the same mission and the belief that these entrepreneurs, they really make or break the economy. And after the work that she did with Mike, she's expanded out the concepts originally outlined in the book, The Pumpkin Plan. She's a real driver and has gone on to build this network of strategists who help to deploy this system for business owners. So we're going to learn a lot more about the pumpkin plan. So before I jump the gun, though, just like to welcome you, Donna, to the call. Thank you. I'm so happy to be here across the world. <laughs> <laughs> Nothing like connecting. Uh, yes, my very early morning, your last thing in the day. So thank you for making yeah. the time. There's a lot we're going to share with the pumpkin plan system and there's a lot to it and you've expanded it and developed it quite a bit more than what was originally in the book. So I'd love to be able to dive in, maybe just to start, if we can talk about some of the problems and challenges that this system aims to solve for business owners and then we can kind of go through a bit more step by step. Yeah, I would love to talk about that. So as you may know, because you work with small businesses also, A lot of businesses, they start out with a great idea, they start growing, their entrepreneurs are people who just are always doing, right? They're out there and they're working and they're getting things done. But what happens with a lot of small businesses is they end up at some point getting stuck. So what got them to a certain level is not going to get them any further and they're not sure what the problem is. And what we've found is that what they're usually lacking is an underlying strategy. So they've started with an idea, they ran with it, but they never really defined their underlying strategy. And what the pumpkin plan does, and if you're wondering why it's called the pumpkin plan, it's because it's an analogy to growing a, I don't know if you have these over in Australia, a one-ton giant pumpkin versus an ordinary pumpkin that you can pick up and take home. Yes, Um, I've seen one of those pumpkins before. I have at one of those fairs and shows oftentimes, so I know exactly what you mean. Awesome. Yeah, so we over here in the fall, it's a big thing that we do. We, We go to the pumpkin farm and we pick out our pumpkins and we carve them for Halloween. And most pumpkins are pretty uniform. There might be slight variations, but they're pretty similar to each other. And then, of course, you see these giant one-ton pumpkins and you go, how did that happen? Well, it didn't happen by accident. (laughs) There's actually a process that's slightly different from growing an ordinary pumpkin. And it's the same thing with your business. And you have to start with strategy. And even if you started without strategy, you go back and you create it. And the strategy that we help you build through the pumpkin plan is a strategy So if you were growing a giant pumpkin, the first step would be to pick out the right seed. 
So you can't just go to your local farm store and buy a little packet of pumpkin seeds and scatter them around and keep your fingers crossed and hope that one of them is going to turn into a giant pumpkin. It doesn't work that way. You actually need a very specific seed that has the capacity to grow into a giant pumpkin. And it's the same with your business. You need to start with the right seed. And we call that seed your sweet spot. And the sweet spot is the intersection of three main factors or areas in your business. And those three areas are your top clients, your unique offering, and your systems. And where those three intersect is your sweet spot. And what happens sometimes is you're not actually, you think you are, but you're not operating in your sweet spot. What do I mean by that? I mean that something, one of those elements or one or more of those elements are missing and certain symptoms are going to start to occur if that's the case. Do you want to know what those symptoms are? Yes. Yeah, because these are all too common for all small business owners. Okay. So maybe you aren't getting enough clients. You think you're doing all the right things. You're out there. You're doing all the latest marketing techniques. You're on the right social media. You're out there shouting from the rooftops, but nobody's listening. That's one symptom. Another symptom is you're getting people who are interested in what you have to offer, but they keep asking you to lower your prices or they're comparing you to other companies that are similar to yours and their offerings and they're comparing you on price. And then another symptom is maybe you have lots of customers, they're willing to pay what you think you're worth, but you're working more than 24 hours a day. You can't get it all done. You, your underlying systems are not there to support your growth. So in that case, you don't have the systems piece. You don't have that piece aligned. In the case of, the, of have, seeing some price pressure, like people are thinking uh, that the only thing they have to compare you on is price, that means that you look very similar to everyone else you don't have a unique offering, or maybe you do have a unique offering, but you're not getting that across. Or maybe you have a unique offering, but it's not a match for what your top clients want and need. So the other piece where nobody's listening, you have not identified your client niche. Who is it that is your best client that you would want to replicate over and over again? That's who you want to speak to. And if any of those things are missing, you're going to start experiencing those kinds of symptoms. And the answer is that you need to get back into your sweet spot. I think what I like about that is um, each of the areas effectively deal with a very specific problem that, uh, you know, every business owner has. And then you've got a process of the way that you solve that problem. So when you start working with you know, a, a one of the coaching clients, where's the first area that you start? Is it addressing that that uh, top clients or unique offering or is it the systems or does it depend on what problems they've got? That's a great question. A little bit of all of it. So the, the program that we put together is a 10-module step-by-step program. And I thought long and hard about what order should should we go in? What makes sense? Because we really want all the work that you're doing to build on it. And so 
the way we typically start is, well, first we start with vision, which you have to know where you're going if you're going to get there. But once we do that, we start diving into who are your top clients. And we actually have a system of figuring that out. Uh, a lot of times you'll ask a business owner, who's your ideal client? And they, they don't know. And they don't know how to figure it out. If you already have clients, what we tell you to do is make a list of all your clients in revenue orders. So start with how much they spend with you. But that is not everything. You also want to consider if you're working, if you actually work directly with these customers, how much do you like them? How difficult are they? How much of your time do they take up? Do they take up more time than they're really worth? Or are they like really easy and you're, and it's really a win-win situation. So you consider all of these factors and you decide who are your top clients. And once you figured that out, we tell you, now this is our secret sauce, we tell you to go out and actually speak to them. So we tell you to go out and actually speak to those clients. And then what you're going to do is find out what they care about. And not just any clients, your top clients, because you don't really want to replicate those bad clients. You want to replicate the top clients. And a lot of times what you're going to find out is what they see as unique about you. So are there certain questions that you like to, to ask to draw that information out, even just a few of the key ones? Yes. So I like to start with something positive, which is tell me what your experience has been like working with me, right? So they're usually going to tell you something positive or what's been the most positive part of your experience with me. But then the next question that you want to ask is, what don't you like about my industry? So not what don't you like about my company or what can I improve? Because they're not going to tell you that because most people are nice. You might get a few people who are willing to tell you what's wrong with you, but most people don't really want to say something that might hurt your feelings or might feel confrontational. But if you ask about your industry, then they feel free to tell you all the things that are wrong about, you know, let's say you're an accountant, all the things that are wrong with the accounting industry. But what I found is what they also do is they flip that and they say, this is what I don't like about all the other accountants. And that's why I like you. So it doesn't happen every single time, but very, very often you start getting a picture of how you stand out to your best clients from the other people or other companies in your industry. So that's a really, it's a really revealing question to ask. And another good question to ask is, what do you wish that companies like mine would provide that we're not already providing? And that gives you some sense of like, what else can I offer? How can I tweak my offering to really appeal to my top clients? Yeah, I really like that because it is about getting very clear on who you want to attract, what it is that attracted them to you and then basically magnifying that and broadcasting it so more people hear that message. Are there any other key steps in that sort of first piece around understanding the clients? The really important piece is narrowing it down to who your top clients are and then taking a look at what they have in common so that you can start to define a client niche. In other words, and I'm sure you probably have other speakers that are going to say the same thing, 
if you try to market to everyone, you're marketing to no one. So the more specific that you can get with who are the group of businesses, if you're a business-to-business company, or people, if you are a business-to-consumer company, who, how do you define that group so that you can speak directly to them? So that you're, because your marketing is going to get way more efficient if you only need to focus on finding one group of people or one group of companies. Yeah. Do you like to distill this down to an avatar or a set of characteristics or criteria or some sort of page that you can then reference? Yeah. So what we do is we advise that you create a top client description. I know a lot of people like the word avatar. That just doesn't sound like a real person to me. No, it does sound like and, a movie. I know. Yeah. yeah like, and, I, and I feel like you really want to get very granular about who is your ideal person, your ideal company, like give them a name, give them characteristics. You want to know as much about them as you can find out. And yes, create a description, write it down. That's who you, and you want to share this with everybody in your company. So you don't want to keep it a secret. You want your whole team to be aware of the description of who is your top client and then where do you find them? How do you group them? Are you going to group them by industry? Are you going to group them by profession? Are you going to group them based on uh, some sort of psychographic where they are or maybe life stage retirees, for example? The broader you get, the harder it is to find them. So the easiest grouping if you work with businesses is to pick an industry. Because it's really easy to find companies that fall into an industry category. It's funny with this particular step when it comes to the idea of just marketing to one person, because people think intuitively, or at least initially, they're like, oh, but I can serve everybody and I can help everyone. And I think one thing that helped me understand and break through, it's not that if someone who wasn't your target market uh, came and knocked on your door that you would turn them away. Oh, no, sorry, I only work with accountants who have this particular practice size or whatever the case may be, it just means you're marketing, you market maybe to that person. So your message resonates so strongly with that person, but you'll still get other clients. It's not like we're sending them away. It's just about tailoring the message for that unique audience. Yeah. And you know, when you first start your company, you're taking everybody. You just want business. But as you start to grow and you realize what you have to offer is of value, it's different if you're selling a product, like let's say you're selling a product online. You can market, you can pick a target audience, but you're right. You can sell to anybody who wants to buy it. But let's say you are providing a specialized service, for example. And I just spoke to somebody today, actually, who part of his offering is he he does marketing but he specifically does video marketing. And what he was telling me was that his offering was not scalable when he was offering it to anybody in any industry. But once he picked an industry, he was able to systematize to the point where it was much more scalable. So I tell this to clients all the time, don't worry, you don't have to turn anybody away if you don't want to. But the truth is, as you grow, the smart thing to do is 
create your systems around who you're serving. So yeah. if you're serving 10 different types of customers, then you have to create 10 different types of systems. I love that insight, particularly as it relates to systems. And you often try and see that as well, where if your systems will increase your efficiency and allow you to deliver the best world-class experience for the customer, but if you're having to tailor something every single time, that's time-consuming, it's expensive, it reduces the ability to deliver to that world-class because you're kind of having to make it up each time. So that makes perfect sense. Exactly. And that was my own personal experience. When I first started business coaching, I was reinventing the wheel every time. And I realized how frustrating that was for me because I felt like I was spending so much time outside of my client meetings working on, you know, what did I need to do with that client next and maybe always looking for new tools that applied to that type of client. So when I went out and started looking for something to solve that problem, that's actually when I met Mike Michalowicz and we decided to partner and turn this, the methods in his book into a coaching system. So the answers are not the same for every client, but the process is the same. And suddenly it just becomes easier. And then if you narrow down to an industry or a niche where everybody has common needs, then you can tweak the system if you need to, but you're not tweaking it every time. Yeah, that makes sense. Are there any final points that you wanted to add before we move into the next one around this idea of identifying the top clients? I think that's the gist of it. Yeah. For top clients. So we do the top client assessment, we define the top clients, we go out and we interview them. Yep, and so then we end up building this, this profile and then it kind of makes sense now. Now that leads into the unique offering because at least you know enough about the client to make sure that you're designing something that's interesting and attractive to them. Exactly, exactly. The same person that I just spoke with today was telling me that his big problem in his business before was that he didn't have a unique offering and he didn't know how to make his offering unique. He had a very generic offering where most people market themselves as the best at what they do. Well, yeah. if everybody says they're the best, you don't and really. great customer service too. Yes, yeah. <laughs> exactly. That's what makes me unique along That's with right. everybody else in my industry, right? So what he did was he read the pumpkin plan and um, he had kind of this aha moment and he went out and started, instead of saying, here's what we do for you, he went out and started talking to his top clients and asked them the questions that I mentioned. And basically he said, what do you need my product to do for you, right? So he, had, he was creating an individualized product, but really wasn't sure what they were doing with it after he handed it over. So he, he asked them, what do you need this to do for you? went back, you know, to his office with his business partner, and they went over all of the answers that they got and realized that they were completely, they were still going to offer the same product, but with additional services. And the focus was going to be on results for the client instead of delivering this product. He told me, he said, the first thing I did was I looked to see if anyone else was doing this. So maybe we didn't have to reinvent the wheel and kind of copy what they were doing. 
And he said, nobody else is doing this. So he was able to create a truly unique offering. And the coolest thing was that he said that before he would talk to a lot of prospective clients and he would hear a lot of no's. And now, as soon as they made this switch and defined their unique offering differently, the answer was always, where do I sign? Yeah. He went from no to where do I sign? And he knows that he's delivering really good value so he can offer this with confidence. So it made that big of a difference for them. So what's the the process you go through for for crafting that and the the questions that one might ask. Obviously, it relates back to understanding that target audience or that target customer and then starting to craft it. But do you have a particular way to draw it out? Because every, again, what I like about the pumpkin plan is it's a framework that can sit over any business and, and be tailored. That's when you know you've got a robust system that it can be applied in any different scenario. So what's the, the way to, to develop that offering for a specific company? Yeah. So what we tell you to do is I like to put all of the answers to the interview questions in a spreadsheet so that it goes question by question. And so you can see all of the answers to each question next to each other. And then I take a highlighter or, you know, you can do that on your computer too. You take a highlighter and I start highlighting the answers and the words that came up over and over again. So you're looking for patterns in what clients are telling you. And then the other piece of it is to ask yourself, what is my company really good at? What are we already good at? What do we care about? And you're looking for that match between what you feel like you're really good at and what your clients are saying they want and what they're saying that they notice about you. And an example of that would be, let's say, you are a company that does tax returns and you pride yourself on your accuracy. Like you never make mistakes and you're very methodical about getting your tax returns done. But your clients are telling you what they value is they want things done fast. That would not be a good match because that's not your strength, right? Your strength is not fast. Your strength is being methodical and accurate. So what you want to do is find something that you know you're good at that your top clients are already appreciating. And usually that will come out. There usually is a match that you see. For example, let's say you're in an industry that maybe things can be confusing, but you're really good at explaining things to your clients. So that could be something where you say, we make things simple and easy for you or simple and clear. Whereas other companies perhaps make things very complicated and their clients are afraid to ask questions. So there are so many examples of how you could take something that you're good at and you put that into your unique offering. So there are things that you have to do well no matter what. So you can't have a product that breaks after five minutes, right? You have to have a good quality product, but that's kind of expected. You want to have a way to differentiate yourself. So what we do is we tell you to think about how you want to differentiate yourself. One way is on price. We don't recommend that for small businesses, especially trying to be the lowest price because usually it's very difficult and you end up eating up your profit that way. You could also differentiate yourself by being the highest price, which usually is part of your branding as high quality. It 
communicates usually some sort of quality that goes along with the high price. But I will say, I think price is difficult to compete on. So the other two areas that you can look at, you can look at the area of convenience. So do I make things easier in some way for my clients to consume my product or service? Is there something maybe built into my product or service already that makes their life easier? So you can think along the lines of convenience or you can think along the lines of quality. And what I mean by that is not like high quality because as we discuss, everybody says that, but a quality. So for example, maybe you have the most advanced technology features or perhaps you have the fastest response time. Some quality that distinguishes you from your competitors. I like to talk about appliances because you can look at some appliances, say like a, a washing machine, we get your clothes the cleanest. But another one might say we have all these different cycles and flexibility the way you can wash your clothes. You know, so there's a lot of different elements to how you can compete and you want to pick something that you know your top clients care about. So once you sort of start to identify some of these top elements, obviously then some of that's going to filter into your marketing and it'll get put throughout your site and on your marketing collateral, potentially in your ads and things like that. Is there anything as far as once you've decided those elements, a a first step or, you know, how do you craft what that offer is? Because now we've kind of got a collection of these characteristics. We kind of need to think about tying it together. Yeah. So what I say is you need to create a unique offering statement. And what you want to include in that unique offering statement is who you serve, right? So that's your niche, what you offer, what makes it different. And we also like to include like your value. So if you have a top value, let's say that you're really honest, you know, you can say we deliver this service to these people with honesty and integrity or something, you know, so you want to make sure that you include, you make it sound like this is uniquely you. But again, you want to, and you want to include why you do it. So there's all these elements that go into making you unique, but create a statement of what you do and make sure that it includes who you do it for, why you do it, and what what makes it unique to your business. Yeah. And I think that then it's almost like your set of values or the company mission or dream in that it's the North star that you can head towards. You've got that statement handy and then it filters into all of the pieces, the marketing, the way that you deliver the product or service and those sorts of things. Just thinking as well, then how that relates down also to the product or service as well, because I'm assuming once you've got that statement as well, that would probably be a determining factor on, you know, what things you focus in on actually selling because it, it needs to meet that particular statement. Absolutely. Yeah, it definitely has to match. The key here is that the statement needs to be clear. So you don't want to be so cute. And, you know, a lot of times people like to write things that sound good, but it doesn't mean anything to anyone else. So you want to make sure that you're really clear. And the other trick or tip that I have is 
when you're doing your client interviews, if you're taking notes or maybe you're recording it, you want to take note of the exact words that your clients are using and speak their language. You don't want to speak your lingo of your business. You want to speak the language of your clients. So if your clients are saying things like, this problem gives me a headache, then you want to use that language. Do these problems give you a headache? As opposed to, you know, some different way of saying it. So you want to understand the language of your top clients as well, because that will also give them the understanding that you understand them. Yeah. And that goes down to the idea as well of joining the conversation that's going on in the mind of the prospect already. So if you're able to use language in the way that they communicate, almost instantly you've got more of a feeling of, oh, they understand me. They they speak my language. Exactly. And that's why you have to know who your clients are. And if you're trying to market to too many people, you can't really speak anybody's language. I noticed uh, at one time I was looking at a billboard for, it was like a new beverage. It was one of these probably sport drinks or something. And I was looking at the billboard and I kept thinking, I don't know what they're saying. (laughs) And it was because it was clearly being marketed like to millennials. And I thought, I'm not a millennial. I'm sure they love that, but they're not marketing to me. I thought that was great because Mm -hmm. they knew exactly who they were appealing to. And it wasn't me because I didn't understand the, the language. Just like, you know, some of us don't always get the texting language or but if your clients talk in texting language, maybe you want to use that. <laughs> yeah, I think that's, I think the takeaway from this stage or this step really being when, once you get that statement clear, that then starts to define because you know who you're talking to, you've already started to phrase that language and then you can then position the message that's going to speak to them most. And then that kind of takes us to this last stage. Your systems. I think you know a little bit about that. (laughs) Just a little bit. (laughs) But I I always have to bite my tongue when systems come up because, uh, yeah, I can uh, head down my little rabbit hole or get on a soapbox. So, yeah, once you've started to get these into place, this is a huge hole for a lot of business owners. And I think one of the reasons is the, the business owner and the founder, oftentimes they're like a visionary, they are big picture thinking, they see a problem in the world that they want to solve, they create this fantastic product or service to to solve that problem. And oftentimes when you're in startup mode, you're jumping from one thing to the next, there's a lot of work that needs to happen to get it off the ground. And when you think about it, systems and processes, they are oftentimes a bit more detail-oriented, they, they need some thinking. Oftentimes you need a little bit of space from the business because you're busy doing the day-to-day work. And, and it's, it's a little bit tough because it, the business owner gets stuck between a rock and a hard place because yeah. they're the person who needs the systems the most because they're very time poor and they're unable to delegate things effectively, yet they have the least amount of time. So they, they don't have the time to be creating the systems. So it's, it's a very common problem that most small business owners, yeah, and look, most of them have trouble bridging this gap. This is the problem that I see which is most consistent as people grow to a certain size. It is. And what we recognize is that 
if you don't have those systems in place, you are limited by all the things that you can do, right? And you become the bottleneck in your business. And it's interesting, a few years ago, Mike and I did a workshop and we built up to like when we were going to talk about systems. And when I asked them, okay, who's excited to talk about systems? They all raised their hands. And I said, well, okay, my work is done here because we built them up to this point where they realized that my business cannot continue to grow without systems. But what we say in addition to that is that you need to create the systems that support your sweet spot. And so if you just go out and that's the first thing you do, you know, you ask the question, what order do we go in? If somebody is desperate for systems and I see, well, okay, they really need to put a few systems in place right now, we can start by addressing that. But what often happens is as you start to evaluate your top clients and you figure out what your unique offering is, you may tweak your business. So you may drop some clients, for example. You might tweak what you're offering. And so to create systems first would mean you might be creating systems for the old product or service or that are supporting the pain in the neck clients that you're now getting rid of. And sometimes we do that. We create systems for the squeaky wheel when really what we should be doing is getting rid of the squeaky wheel. That's why I like to say the systems should get start to, not that And I don't know any businesses that have zero systems. Everybody has some, right? But if you're going to start building out your processes, then you should know exactly who you're targeting and exactly what you're offering and what is the most efficient way to deliver that product or service so that it's repeatable and that you're not limited by having only one or two people who know how to do that thing. And that's where... And one good trick, and I know a few other people who could be talking about this, but one thing that I've done personally is one of my goals is to leave the business like unplugged for four weeks or more. How do you do that? You have to have your business running efficiently without you in order to do that, unless you want to come back to no business or come back to a pile of work. Once you set up that goal and you say, okay, I'm taking that vacation and you set a date, then that's the impetus to really start focusing on your system. And the first test that I did, well, the very first one didn't go very well at all, actually. And then the second one went way better. But what it showed me was each time I left unplugged for a period of time, when I came back, I was able to see what needed more work. So which systems need to be bolstered or what do I still need to put in place that's not there? So actually leaving your business for a period of time will start to show you where the gaps are in your systems. Mm. Do you have a process for where you get started? Obviously, you've thought about that unique client and unique offering. And now we know, okay, well, here is the, the core product or service that we want to focus on. And then, I mean, the way that we think about it, you just, you map out effectively the, 
not only the customer journey, but then also what happens behind the scenes for the delivery of that product or service and then how they come back. Now, that's where we start. Now, there are a lot of other areas like finance and HR and management, but if you can get the delivery of your product or service to happen smoothly, the business can at least then generate revenue without the business owner being involved. I'm curious, is that do you have a particular way that you approach or where do you start or is it more of a where is the fire in the business and let's put out the fire? The way we approach it, because there are a lot of systems in the business, right? So the customer journey experience is one, like delivering the product or service. There's your marketing system. There's your employee onboarding system. There's, you know, there are so many systems in your business that need to be addressed. So you're right, where do we start? So what we try to do is look at what is, because we're working with business owners. So not necessarily going into a company and working with like department heads, we're working with the business owners. So we start there and we say, what work do you want to be doing? Like, what is it that you, what's your vision for your role in the company? And then the next question is, all right, let's take a look at who you're serving and what needs to be delivered. All of those systems that we just talked about, which ones are like, what are you doing in those systems that can be delegated? And what are you doing in those systems that can be automated? And so we start to look at where the systems need to be created first. And then we look at, well, what's the most important one to address first? What's the one that is the most key to serving our sweet spot? Yes. So we start to look at it from basically like, where's there no system where it's like in your head. And if you didn't come in tomorrow, this wouldn't get done. So it kind of, maybe it is where the fire, where the fires are, but that's the approach that we tend to take. And then obviously being aware that you need a system for this particular task or function or whatever it is, then you move into the idea of capturing and documenting and getting that down. Do do you have any tips on the way you help business owners do that? Yeah. So we have two different approaches and I'd like to say that in terms of just getting it documented, the kind of what you would expect do the process, write it down as you go along, maybe shoot some videos and get it documented and give it to somebody else. The other thing that we do is for your key systems. So let's say you have a system, but you feel like there's some bottlenecks. It maybe isn't doing as well as you want it to. We have a process of evaluating your systems where we actually tell you to start at the end So, and it's kind of a, it's one of these like kind of tedious, like you don't do this in five minutes, but you start at the end, like what is the experience that you want? Let's say it's delivering your product or service. What is the experience that you want your customer to have when they receive your product or service? That's the end. And then you work backwards step-by-step. What's the step right before that? What's the step right before that? And for each what we call like a major objective, which is kind of an encapsulated stage. So for each stage in the process, you're going to evaluate where things could possibly go wrong. Like what are those inflection points 
that could create a situation where the customer doesn't move on to the next stage, right? And you're evaluating those. And a lot of times what happens is you see sometimes there are steps that you realize are unnecessary in your process that you can eliminate. And the other thing is you do see where the bottlenecks are being created. And in that instance, you can come up with ways that you can change it. And one of the things we ask you to evaluate is how much control you have over this. And if you can pick something that you have control over that you can change, then you can change that thing and see if it makes your process go more smoothly. I went through this recently with somebody for their client boarding process, for example, and they were able to see like one of the issues was that the client wasn't filling out or there was a stage where they had to fill out an information form and they had a low rate of getting those forms back. So we were able to, by going through this process, we were able to see what was happening, why they weren't getting the forms back, and a tweak they could make to their process to increase that rate of getting the forms back. Yeah. It's one of those things I feel like system development, and it's hard in the initial stage when you're first doing it, but it really is the master skill for a business owner because business owners, they're great at solving problems. That's what they do best. The thing is people get stuck solving the same problem over and over. But if you can get whether that's a process or something you plug behind yourself to be able to capture your solutions, which effectively become your systems and processes so they get passed down or, or to the rest of the team, then what happens is you're able to solve bigger quality problems. Well, where is that next fire? Okay, someone is having trouble not filling out this survey or someone's not paying on time. Okay, well, now we need to re-engineer that system to make sure that we're taking payment up front before we ever do any work for the client. And now we've just completely eradicated that problem of them not paying because we never got started. That skill is the one that, you know, I'm, I think and in business owners, they really do thrive in that place. But it's almost like you have to get over these misconceptions around systemization because there's a lot of myths that team members won't follow systems or that they remove creativity or that you're going to need thousands of systems or their systems need to be perfect. Like there's a whole bunch of rubbish that floats yeah. around. And once you kind of get through it, that's when you, you have that big breakthrough. But again, time for me to bite my tongue. <laughs> well, no, but I really, I really agree with you there. And what I'm going to tell you is in my own experience, because I think we all do this, we have things that we do from our heads, right? It's not in a system. We have a system, but it's all in our heads. And when I have taken the time to get that system out of my head and get it into even a checklist. So for example, my strategist onboard system. So when we get a new strategist come into our training program, I used to sit there and go, okay, now I have to do this and I have to send this email and make sure I get the agreement. And two hours later, I'd be like, oh no, I forgot to do this part. And so my idea was that I wanted to be able to document this so I could give this to somebody else to do. And what ended up happening was that it just made my life easier even before I gave it to somebody else because I didn't have to now worry and take the time to think through the process. The first step is open up the checklist, 
And so it actually made my life easier for months before I hired somebody who was able to take over this part. And the other piece of that is then I had somebody to give it to and she was able to tell me, well, wait, this isn't clear or, and so the questions that she asked me helped me to make it a better process in terms of giving it to someone else to do. But then we were also able to see pieces where we could automate it. So a person didn't have to do certain pieces of it anymore. There were ways to automate it. So having somebody else to bounce these things off of makes a huge difference. It's hard to sit there and do it all yourself and not have any feedback. You need that feedback in order to create a really good system. And I have found that usually if you create a good basic system, the people who then are doing that system will get creative and tell you, wait a minute, I think there's a better way to do this. So as long as you're open to the idea that that your systems are living, breathing things, and they're meant to serve your sweet spot, then you're going to continue to gain efficiency in your business. Yeah, it makes perfect sense. And I think once someone starts and they start to see the benefit, that's when, you know, they start to get the momentum because it's, it's hard at the start as well. The first system or two, you don't yeah. see the huge win. The, the wins actually come as you get the compound effect of layering these systems on top and you get a whole bunch of time saving and efficiency approving, improving and creating that space. Like you talked about, even for you as the individual, if you've got a limited amount of decision-making brain power every single day. If you're using that for these low-quality problems, what a system does is, well, now I don't even have to think about that. So now I can actually think about this higher-quality problem or this higher-quality challenge. So I know this bit for some people will get some people really, really excited by systems. (laughs) If you just say systems, it doesn't sound that exciting. But when you talk about what they can do for you, it becomes really exciting because systems create freedom and they create efficiency in your business, which creates profitability. So if you look at it like this, I want to serve my clients the best that I can. If you have great underlying systems, it enables you to serve those clients in a spectacular way because like you said, you are freed up to be creative and to serve your clients. And you can create those systems that are going to deliver for your clients. One thing that I did, which helped me as well as a a business owner looking to build wealth in my company, I've started to view systems as an asset. And it's an asset that really you can create out of nowhere other than just the investment of time, as in there's not a huge capital investment, you know, money required to make it happen. You're investing time and you're building an asset out of nothing. And as we know, assets can grow in value over time. They're cumulative as we start to add all of these different assets. So again, that's why, and that's what you want to be doing as a business owner. You want to focus on building assets rather than just doing, you know, the the time for money cash flow all the time. It's about building that asset base. And then over time, your assets end up being what end up, you know, funding things as opposed to, yeah, the the cash flow of the the time versus money situation. Absolutely. A hundred percent. It is an asset. 
because if I was going to go buy a company, I wouldn't want to buy a company where all of the employees that were there today had to stay because they knew everything and there were no other systems in the business, right? Yes, exactly right. But if you go into a business that the business owner shows you this business is set up to run itself, you just plug the right people in and, and you're good to go, that's a huge asset. And it, it de-risks the purchase for that new business acquirer because yeah. the risk and the fear that they have is that the business won't continue to operate at the same level once the business owner leaves. But exactly. if you de-risk it for them now, that's a huge added bonus. So I'm very conscious that once we start talking about systems, you, you won't stop me and I now get that feeling it's the same for you too. So if we... Think about the three stages in the, the pumpkin plan. I'm, I'm wondering if there are any final thoughts. I feel like we've dived into each of them quite well. Are there any final thoughts you wanted to add to any of them? What I just want to say is that they are all interconnected. You know, I want to make that point that they don't happen in a vacuum. So you want to make sure that when you're thinking about all three of these areas, that they go together. Again, the unique offering has to match what your top clients want and your systems have to deliver that unique offering and reach your top clients. So you really need all three of those in order to grow. And if any one of them is missing, you are going to get stuck and you'll be frustrated. So that's really the the key here, that they all go together. They're not separate. It's like uh, growing a big pumpkin. You you need those elements. You need all the elements. And of course, there's a lot more. I recommend everybody read the book. It's it's a great book. There's clearly more to to it than that. But this is the heart of the pumpkin plan, that if you understand those three pieces of your business and you match them together, you are going to uh, have the ability to grow as much as you want and create the business that you dreamed of when you when you got into it in the first place. Perfect. Well, thank you, Donna, so much for diving in, being very generous with your time and knowledge. If people want to find out more about The Pumpkin Plan, head over to Amazon to get the book. Is there anywhere else that we can point them, particularly about your work even? Sure. So what they can do is we are giving away a Pumpkin Plan booster pack So there are a few of our our tools are in that booster pack that will help you determine your unique offering and, um, you know, some of these other elements to dive into them. And that is at pumpkinplanyourbizbiz.com. Perfect. And I'll put a link. People can nice and easily find it. So again, Donna, thank you so much for your time. Thank you. You've just been listening to the System Hub Podcast. Remember, we've documented this system for you so you can literally swipe and deploy it within your business. Head to www.systemhub.com forward slash podcast to download it now.